0: Welcome to the Agile Career Podcast, where we will take you on the journey from Employed for Life to Employable for Life. We'll give you the tips, insights and strategies to help you build the transferable skills that you'll need. So let's get started. Please welcome your host, Gunter Richter.
1: Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Agile Career Podcast. This is episode Twenty. I've got another great guest lined up for today, and the very interesting thing about this guest is that he started off his career in the recruitment industry. Now, this is quite interesting for two reasons. Um, One, because it wasn't really his intended direction of travel uh, when he studied and uh, left university, and secondly, because recruitment is something that plays a part in our lives, especially when we're job seeking and changing jobs. So uh, without further ado, I'm really glad to welcome Mark Colgan to the show today. Uh, Mark, welcome, and thanks for making the time to appear on the show.
0: Hey, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to kind of sharing my story and and how I've kind of moved from different industries and different roles. So hopefully it will be a value.
1: Yeah, no, I've been looking forward to it. And I mean, I know we've had a few chats uh, leading up to this, so I'm glad you made the time available. And uh, I've really been looking forward to our conversation.
0: Me too, me too.
1: All right. So, I mean, in terms of getting started, do you want to perhaps introduce yourself in a little more detail and talk about what it is you do at the moment?
0: Sure. Okay. So, uh, my name is Mark Colgan, and um, I currently live and work remotely. So, I'm working and living in Athens, Greece at the moment, and I travel fairly regularly, although with coronavirus, I'm not traveling as much as I I usually do. Uh, But how I spend my time at the moment, I have uh, a business that I set up quite recently, which is called Speak On Podcasts. Uh, where we actually help people secure podcast interviews, and I also i am a coach for an outbound prospecting course uh, with the Sales Impact Academy, uh, and that's a course that I facilitate, so I deliver the, the training and I'm there to answer questions, and I also have my own kind of consultancy advisory where I help B2B SaaS companies when it comes to scaling revenue. Um, so that's pretty much what I'm up to at the moment
1: okay well I think that's a great summary and um I guess we'll delve into the detail a little bit later on but I think um one of the things you you know that that's starting to um emerge or one of the themes is you've listed out a number of things that you're busy on and you know things that take up your time and I think that's quite different from many people that have a sort of a single source of income, you know, working mm. on one job and um, not necessarily da- diversifying their income. So that's quite an interesting take. And um, I'm going to come back to that and, and sure. talk to that as, as we sort of go through, because I think that's a really great takeaway, um, especially in the times we live in where, you, you know, you, you basically have all your eggs in one basket if you're relying mm. on, a, on a single employer or a single source of income.
0: Absolutely. I guess...
1: I mean, going back because you didn't, I guess you didn't start off with saying, well, you know, this is, uh, here's a vast, um, well, not a vast, but here are numerous sort of things that I'm going to work on. You didn't start off like that, I guess. Like anything, you uh, you, you finished school, you went on to do some further studies. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you know, what was your view in the end of school, early career, university, in terms of what you wanted your career to be or where you thought you would be going with your career?
0: Mm, okay, that's good. Let's 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 go back. Let's go back to uh, <laughs> 2005. Um, so around around that time, I'd I'd finished my A level. So I uh, grew up in the UK, and you do A levels until you're around the age of 17, and then you choose to go to university if you want to, or into the world of employment. Um, I certainly wanted to go to university. I was the uh, the first in my family uh, to to go to university, and I decided to do business studies with marketing. I was always interested in marketing. Um, so I went to study. Um, the g- degree I chose was one that you do a year in industry. So you do two years of study, then you then you go and work for one year. And I was looking for marketing placements. So it's like an internship, but it's for a year. And I was looking at all of these marketing internships or placements, and they were just glorified T-boys or T-girls, and there really wasn't much responsibility. Um, none of the none of the jobs kind of gave me what it was that I was looking for in, in marketing, which was to be able to build brand awareness or generate leads. So I decided after a little while to actually not go into marketing for my placement, which was a big choice at the time and, and one that I didn't regret. And in the end, one of the jobs that caught my eye was a, being a recruitment consultant where you had autonomy over the desk that you that you worked on and that's the desk is pretty much the who who do you recruit and where do you place them and it had an opportunity to earn commission as well and i've always been motivated by money i've always had part-time jobs um although a lot of my part-time jobs were motivated by what discounts could i get so i worked at a sports store so i could get cheap discounts on trainers i worked at a cinema because i love films so i could go and watch loads of free films um, so I've always thought about what, the, what is the additional benefit for me from working in this company. Uh, but yeah, that's how I got into recruitment. So I did one year as part of my placement. And before I'd finished the year, um, I'd won a couple of um, kind of awards for performance. And they asked if I would like to come back to the company once I graduated. So I finished my placement, went back to university and knowing that I already had a job lined up.
1: I think, I mean, I'd like to draw on what you, one of the things you mentioned there was, you know, what you were looking for in the role was you wanted responsibility and you felt that the roles in the uh, the marketing industry wouldn't give you that. And, um, you know, I guess it would have been easier to settle for something easy. Uh, but I think instead you chose something more challenging uh, to give you that responsibility you were looking for.
0: Yeah. And, you know, when I was at, when, around this time, Facebook had just launched and was available in the UK. Um, I know I'm showing my age here, but um, none of that was taught to us at university. There was nothing really about digital marketing when I went. So bearing in mind, I started in 2006. There really wasn't, you know, they, they said in the syllabus that websites are going to be important as the buyer's, uh, buyer's expectations change. But that was it. It was like a couple of sentences. We really didn't talk much about marketing in the digital world. And I don't blame the university for that. They can't keep an updated syllabus as, as quickly as they uh, as as they they need to um but when i looked at the when i looked at the roles just yeah they just nothing came nothing jumped out to me if that just looked like i'd actually gain any responsibility and i knew that by taking responsibility i'd learn qu- learn a lot quicker
1: yeah and as you say you know looking back at university and thinking about one of your roles now so take the speaking on podcasts one for example which which is kind of interesting because that's what we're doing um, I guess that podcast didn't exist back then. So, you know, you were effectively training for a job that didn't exist or a number of jobs that didn't exist. And um, I think that's an important takeaway as well.
0: Yeah, I, I read a stat the other day that said a child who's starting um, primary school or the first school, so around five or six, 65% of the jobs that they that will be available when they graduate have not been invented yet or are not here yet. So it's crazy to think about the, how the educational systems will ever keep up if they can. And I think that's why we're seeing new models for a higher education like Lombarda School, if I've pronounced that right, um, and other kind of alternative solutions for higher education.
1: Yeah, no, we had a, a podcast ep- uh, episode well, a few episodes ago talking with someone who specializes in higher education and he mentioned how the landscape was changing and, you know, how they really had to adapt to kind of meet the changing demands of of the marketplace. So mm-hmm. um, it is interesting. And I guess looking at, you know, when you're 18 or 17 years old, it, it's almost impossible to choose a career, as you say, based on the stat that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. um, that, that 65% of the jobs that 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 will be done don't exist when you you're sort of studying. So yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting. So okay, so I mean, you spent a few years in in recruitment then, um, and you know, working for some big names as well. It wasn't you know like a mom and pop uh, kind of mm-hmm. um, recruitment agency you were working for. Um, what what was that experience like? I mean, you said you enjoyed it. You were motivated by the commission, and you know, but what were the sort of key learnings and the sort of key skills that you developed that that you took forward with you in that in those few years?
0: Yeah, well, I started off at Hayes Recruitment, which is a very large recruitment company globally um, and had a good uh, has a good reputation in the UK too. And what was great about that going through a, such a corporate placement scheme is that I was trained really, really well. We went through all of the same training that a normal recruitment consultant would go through and it taught you stuff. So in, in the role of a recruitment consultant, you not only have to be very good at researching to match and find um, individuals, but you also need to develop a very quick understanding of the companies that you're recruiting for so you could sell those to the candidates. And then you have to get very good at selling an individual or selling an individual's traits to a hiring manager. So really you're selling two things to to two people and there's a lot of emotions involved and I have never found it too stressful to change careers or to, to move and to interview for roles because I had this foundation from the very early beginning of my career Of understanding what it's like to be on both sides of the recruiting table but I know for a lot of people recruitment is or changing jobs is is a very stressful situation Um, and as a recruitment consultant you have to manage that stress so I just got very very good at managing expectations for multiple stakeholders and then because it was also a sales led role you had to be okay with picking up the phone smiling and dialing making 60 outbound calls a day having conversations and and, and uh, discovering whether companies are actively hiring. And then as soon as you find out they're hiring, you have to be ready to sell in some candidates that you've got. So it, it just built up this, uh, a number of different skills for me, which are now like reflexes. I don't even blink when it comes to objection handling or when it comes to putting myself outside of my comfort zone and picking up the phone and attending to sell something. It's completely natural to me because I spent the first, I guess, three or four years doing it.
1: Yeah, no, there's some great skills you've drawn on there. And I think uh, the one that stood out to me as well is selling to two parties. So, mm. um, you know, selling to an employer and selling to a, a potential employee. Uh, and it's almost like peace brokering, I guess. You know, it, it's not Definitely. the same as selling something that's commodity based, where it's it's kind of almost just a one way. Uh, type of not necessarily a one-way transaction, but it's it's you're not negotiating with a, a product, you're, yeah. you're only negotiating with a customer. So that's quite interesting.
0: And and one one example, if I can just draw on this, is you might speak to a candidate on on a Thursday, let's say, and say, um, okay, they'd like to offer you the role. They're going to pay X amount. Here here's a little bit more information about it. And then you might say to the candidate, the only thing that I'm a little bit concerned about is that the commute is an hour and twenty minutes away from where you live most likely that person on the phone will say, yeah, no, no, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, I'm happy with that one hour, 20 minute commute. Then they, And over the weekend, they speak to their partner or they speak to their friends or their family and their family start to put in the seed of doubt about, oh, that's a long commute. In fact, there's almost three hours of, of commuting time per, per day for that new role. And you then have a call on Monday and they say, actually, I'm not going to accept the role because of that commute is just a bit too much. So a lot of m- emotions come into it. And it's all about, you know, preempting what those potential emotions could be. And that's something that I've always done my best to kind of uh, carry on into my personal life as well. And just trying to preempt as much as I can.
1: Yeah. And, and, you yeah, of course, talking about emotions, there's the whole, um, uh, the whole, uh, you know, raft of soft skills that you develop as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I think those are probably more difficult to call out, um, you know, because there are soft skills, but. Think in dealing with people every day those are the sorts of things that you um, you, you know those sorts of skills that you developed
0: yeah and, and and they have always served me well in throughout the rest of my career and we, we we didn't do so when I was at the in another the other recruitment company SF group we did some work on neurolinguistic programming and that was very fascinating just to find out for example if I sat in between the candidate and the door and I was physically blocking the door for that candidate, it could make them feel uncomfortable. Now that wasn't me doing that intentionally, um, but it's just understanding how our brain and, and psyche can work sometimes. So next time that you're interviewing a candidate for a role that you're hiring for, don't be the blocker between the door because they can feel that they're threatened and, and they can feel trapped.
1: And that's a great piece of advice. And you know, sometimes we are cognizant of things like that. You, you know, you're going into a client meeting and there might be one or two you know, you and one or two or three colleagues and two or three clients and Mm -hmm. you invariably end up sitting on opposite sides of the table and it becomes very much an us versus them thing, you know? So we sometimes more conscious of those sorts of things, uh, you know, the sort of folding your arms when you're talking to to someone and and those Mm -hmm. sort of body language things. But I guess there's so much more to learn in terms of those skills, as you say, in terms of the skills you picked up when you did the NLP work. So I think that's a great piece of advice to, to listeners and, um, I think probably something that's valuable for us all to develop.
0: Mhm, definitely.
1: So, uh, spending a few years in recruitment then and it sounds like you had a good time, you enjoyed it, you developed loads of skills. Uh it came time for a change. Um and you know you, uh, you decided to move on. Mm-hmm. What led you to that point, that decision?
0: Yeah, so I think timing and the timing was one of the things and and also what I was doing in my role. So uh, but at this point, just before I was thinking of making the move, I was working at Experian, which is a in the UK, it's a FTSE 50 company, or was at the time, not sure where it is at the moment. And um, I was recruiting for sales and marketing people. So I've always aligned myself with salespeople because at the end of the day, I, I am a salesperson, so I can always resonate with them. But I was in the HR team. And unfortunately, the HR, um, sometimes the HR um, departments can have a little bit of a reputation of being a little bit soft. And especially when you're dealing with salespeople who have their own personality and own personality traits, they tend to go around HR or over the heads of HR and just recruit people that they know from their network. So I had a lot of challenges in that role to make sure that I got the buy-in that I needed from these sales directors and business development people. But I was also recruiting marketers and I was starting to see a new job title uh, uh, arise across the company, which was digital marketing manager or digital marketing assistant. And there hadn't previously been digital marketing roles at this company. And I was looking at the job description, looking at the bullet points and just thinking, I, I, I know the theory to all of this stuff. I haven't practiced it yet, but I know I could do each one of these bullet points. So about six months in, I thought, okay, I'm going to buy the dummy's guide to internet marketing, which was about 700 pages. And a lot of it is isn't that relevant anymore because it changes so quickly. I also bought Pimp My Site," which was about uh, search engine optimization. <laughs> I remember the, those books vividly, and I've still got them as home because they're quite nostalgic for me. And I read them front to cover, uh, sorry, fr- yeah, front to back. And I then reached out to a few friends of mine. So my dad at the time had a, um, he had his own business, so he didn't have a website or social media. So I created a website, worked on some social media presence for him. I had another friend who was a personal trainer, And did the same thing for him. So I took what I learned and then actually uh, implemented it and practiced so I could build a portfolio. And that was the turning point for me to decide whether I uh, applied for a role. And in fact, I actually applied for a role at Experian, but I spoke to the gentleman who was on his way out of the role and asked him why he was leaving. He was a young guy, very ambitious, and he just said that there was just a little bit too much red tape for him and for him to get any of his ideas implemented he wasn't looked at uh too seriously because he was junior and i thought well that's not a position i want to be in either so i applied for other roles outside of this company and ended up starting um as a digital or online marketing manager for a local um, technology business in, in nottingham where i was living at the time
1: uh, and that, I mean, that's a great um a great transition and i think there's two things that jump out for me there and the one is you know doing friends uh, things for friends and family Mm-hmm. Uh, probably at, at a low or no cost, but you know, building your skills, building your portfolio. And I think that's a really good vehicle for many people to get into uh, newer types of roles or newer jobs or built, um or sets of skills is doing that sort of work for free or volunteering. So I think that's a really great piece of advice. And
0: yeah. Uh, and just to pause on that, that point, I think a lot of you see advice of people saying don't work for free and that's completely fine. If you already have a track record of success or, um, yeah, if, if you've got a track record of success, don't work for free because you've already proven to yourself and to the market that you are worth the value um, that you're charging. But if you're just starting out, 100% work for free. But just remember, you're not working for free because you're investing in yourself. And it's probably the best salary you can pay yourself is to invest in yourself and skill upskill yourself, especially when there are skills that are in, in need and in demand. And at the time, Gunter... When I was looking at candidates from these marketing roles, so remember I'm on that side of the table as well, I could see two distinct type of people. There were digital natives, so like me, of the similar age who had kind of been brought up Facebook. They got to know MySpace and Facebook and some of the other social platforms, and they were familiar and comfortable with them and could apply those skills in a marketing capacity. And the other type of candidates were your traditional marketer who'd been working in marketing for 20 years and they were reluctant, not all, not everyone was, but that some of them were reluctant to learn these new skills and become online marketing managers because there was a lot of, believe it or not, a lot of people at the time didn't believe that digital was the way forward.
1: Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, it's looking at something like blockchain today, for mm-hmm. example, and saying, well, okay, you know, there's a lot of hype, but actually, you know, how, how, how much reality or credibility is there. And I guess it was the same going back to 2006, 2007, Mm -hmm. you know, Facebook really was just a, you know, Hey, this is what I'm doing. And here's a picture of my dog kind of thing. (laughs) Um, And not necessarily a billion dollar generating advertising platform. So, um, you know, I guess some companies saw it and some companies didn't, some Mm -hmm. individuals saw that and some didn't. So it's, it's good that you draw that distinction. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And the second point then was, um, you know, you speaking to the outgoing uh, person in the role that you are applying for, and uh, I mean that, thats really good because you you sort of get the inside and understand why the person's leaving, understand it a little bit more about the role. Mm-hmm. I guess, unfortunately, as a candidate, you don't always have that opportunity because you don't know, uh, you know, whether the role you're applying for is a new one or you know you don't have access to the person who might be leaving. But um, you- probably.
0: Yeah, no, I'd say I, I agree. It's, it, I was in a unique position there, but you can look on LinkedIn and look for people who previously worked at companies that you're applying to. And then you can reach out to them and just say, hey, look, I'm, I'm thinking of applying to a role at this company. It seems to be a similar role to what you are doing. Do you have 15 minutes to answer a few questions? Gunter, I think if, if I was to say, uh, we, we're probably jumping ahead here, but the, my, my advice to anybody for life in general, not just in their career choices, is speak to people and ask questions. You'll be surprised by how many people are open to giving you their advice if you just ask them.
1: Yeah, no, that that's an absolutely brilliant point. Um and, and funny enough, I'm busy reading a book called Ultra Learning, and um this is exactly what the author recommends is you know, reaching out to people and asking for help. And you know, he says you'll be surprised by how many people are eager to to help you. Mm-hmm. Um so no, that's a great bit of advice. And I think in the same way that you as a recruiting um consultant, did research on companies, candidates should do exactly the same. You know, you said LinkedIn, you know, there's something like Glassdoor. Mm-hmm. So certainly um, a really sage piece of advice that, that you just shared is to reach out, do that research and ask questions.
0: Yeah. And, and don't be afraid of asking a stu- uh, what you might feel is a stupid or silly question. Um, it's much better to ask that question at the beginning than think six months saying, crap, I should have I done my due diligence because... I feel like a lot of people feel like they owe the company that they work at a favor for working at them, but it's your career, you're in charge and you can take ownership of that by doing your due due diligence because six months wasted in a company that you're not enjoying could be avoided by, by just doing a little bit more research. Yeah. That's a good point you make about
1: taking ownership of your, you know, your job and your career. So, um, yeah, some really good, some really good bits that have come out there um okay, so you you made this um transition, so you moved into or you, you kind of shaped up this role um uh, as as a digital marketing um person. Mm-hmm. you made the shift and um then went on i think to do a number of jobs in that space that's right um and at the same time, I think you probably you took a traveling break as well. Um, how did did that all work out in terms of numerous roles? Uh, You know, I guess um, you've got a lot of exposure to different organizations and Mm -hmm. corporate cultures. Um, You know, what was that like?
0: Yeah, it was great. So I was very lucky in the and and I don't often like to say luck because I feel that you make your own luck and, and you make your own decisions and hard decisions sometimes to create the luck for yourself. But I was lucky in the sense that the company I joined in Nottingham when I hadn't worked in marketing before took a chance on me, um, but they could see that I was so passionate about digital. I, I had a portfolio of all of these things that I'd done for other people for free and I positioned it as imagine what I could do for you uh, if if I was working here full time. And it was great. They, they gave me that opportunity and and one the the, the major thing that I learned there is they didn't have any digital presence, really. They had a website, but it was very, very bad, as were most websites in 2012 back then. They weren't fantastic. And um, they, but they didn't have any marketing automation or any real, um, they had a CRM, but it wasn't really working. And so this was the first time where I was able to combine my new marketing skills with my sales skills, but then also I, d- I, I developed an understanding of marketing automation and technology. So I really sat between kind of technology or product, the sales and the marketers. And I understood that the salespeople just, they cared about revenue, but a lot of the the benchmarks and KPIs for marketers at the time were increasing website traffic, increasing social media following. And I was always thinking, no, I don't care about that. I just, I care about how much revenue I can bring in for the company. Um, but having worked in that company for a year, I actually relocated to London, and then joined, I really got the job um, in my first digital marketing role in London because I'd implemented HubSpot for the uh, company back in um, back in Nottingham. And again, this company I joined—they were going for a digital transformation. They needed somebody who understood how to bolt all of these campaigns together, how to connect the website to the CRM and have lead nurturing and events and. And things like that and i'd done that and i it was very comfortable for me to do so so i knew that i'd landed on a skill that was in high demand and throughout my time uh, this was at a company called proc which was later acquired and then a company called local data company i loved my jobs there i was a year and a half in one almost two years in the other went to hubspot met the met the team in ireland and went to boston and uh, because it was really using it very very well for um, to get results for the company. But I, I, I realized that my skill that I had started to now narrow down and, and become more of an expert, not just a generalist marketer, was that marketing automation piece, that integration between sales and marketing. And I knew that that was in a demand uh, skill. But at the same time, from a personal point of view, I was approaching 30 and I'd realized I'd just finished university and went straight into work. And I had put my head down and I grafted and worked really, really hard. I wanted a break. So after two years of working as a digital marketing manager in London for, for the local data company, I decided to take an early retirement. However, I didn't save enough money, so I knew I'd have to go back to work. Um, but that was the reason why I decided to take a year off and go traveling around South America and Southeast Asia.
1: I mean, that must have been a fantastic experience in itself. Obviously, the, the, um, the, the traveling bits and, um, you know, exposure to new things, uh, but there must have been certain skills that you developed on your travels as well that you've, you've taken forward with you.
0: Yeah, so I think quite a lot, actually. Um, I guess a lot of people might be, uh, uh, might be a bit intimidated by taking that leap. However, my, my rationale behind going, traveling after, you know, because I, I, you could argue that I, if I'd stayed at that company or I could have moved to a head of marketing role somewhere else and progressed and progressed, I knew that I had a skill set that was in demand and that if I went away for a year but kept on top of it just by reading blogs and luckily there's the HubSpot blog, there's Buffers blog, there's so much resources for marketers, it's fantastic. And I actually have the time now because I'm sitting on a 14-hour coach journey in Bolivia, traveling from Bolivia to Peru. So I've got all this time to read and consume. Um, but the, the story here is I knew that I would come back to a role. I knew that there'd be a job for me, whether it be, it didn't have to be at the same company I just left, but I knew I had a skill and I had the, uh, the experience to then be able to confidently sell myself into a role. So that's that the first thing. That's, that's what gave me the confidence to take the leap at the time I did. Um, but in terms of skills, um, I think just being comfortable with the unknown, um, I didn't take, I took a phone, but I didn't take a, I didn't bother getting a SIM card in any of these countries. So I was literally relying on Wi-Fi. So there's a lot of times where I had got off a bus in the middle of Bolivia, had no idea how to get anywhere. Um, I also learned as well, just to take life a little bit easier. Um, I'd pushed myself quite a lot in the, in the years building up to this point and everything had a plan and a routine and everything was quite regimented. And I just got into more of the flow of traveling and uh, kind of answering why not to a lot of things um, throughout the travels.
1: I like that. Why not? It's uh, often people ask why, but not often. Why not?
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, <laughs> I learned in, in South America and in Spanish, it's por qué no. And uh, I, I said that many a times throughout the trip in South America.
1: Yeah, that's a great bit of advice. I think it helps with the previous point you made as well about taking life a little bit easier.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like what you said there in terms of, you know, you having taken a, a break, but you did continue to develop your skills and, um, you know, some some great resources you listed there, the HubSpot and the, and the Buffer blog. So I'll, I'll list those on the speaker notes because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I personally find loads of value in the Hub, uh, HubSpot blog. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, and going away, so ahead of that trip overseas, uh, you know, you said you knew you had the skill that was in demand. If you kept on top of things after a year and you came back, it would still be in in, in demand. I mean, are there any tips you would give to the listeners in terms of how people can spot the sorts of skills or the roles that, that are in demand, uh, you know, other than the obvious, you know, going through employment uh, adverts? Um, Because I think, You know, you touched on some really good stuff there around some very specific skills rather Mm -hmm. than roles. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess it's it's, uh, maybe a difficult one to answer, but how people can spot the skills or some of the approaches they can take to understand which skills are in demand.
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think I have a bias in answering this because I worked in recruitment and I'm kind of always got one eye on what are the roles that are, that are facing in, in my industry um so right now i know from a marketing and sales point of view the marketing and sales ops so um operations roles are very very hot because more and more companies are relying on data and they need somebody to be able to have that strategic understanding but also tactical ability to string everything together um, but how would i know about that so i'm just trying to reverse engineer it i think what i'd look at doing is have a look at take your take your role or your industry and then have a look at 2020 trends or 2021 trends for marketers, and then have a look to see what these people and what these blogs are saying, and then look for the patterns. Um, that would probably be my advice actually.
1: Yeah. And that's very consistent with, as you say, you know, one of the skills you built up in the recruitment agencies was that ability to research companies and research industries. So, uh, I think, I think that's a great piece of advice. Okay. So coming back from your travels then um, I, I guess it was time to sort of immerse yourself again in the, um, in, in the job market. Uh How did, how did you tackle that? I guess it must've been a bit of a shift.
0: It, it wasn't, it wasn't. So yeah. So an interesting thing happened when I was halfway through my trip, I, I took my laptop, but I did say to myself, that I won't work. I, this is, this is a trip I've saved money. I've worked hard and I got comfortable with the fact that I was going to spend all that money and, and come back and, and start from zero. Um, however, Uh, an old manager got in touch with me when I was uh, about six months into the trip. And he asked if I could help one of his friends company implement HubSpot. And he said, name your price and I'll, and I'll, I'll deal with the sales. I'll deal with the closing. I just need you to price up the job. I'm going to put a bit of a margin on it. He said, and, um, and then you can do the implementation. So I thought, well, let me put a figure in here, which is not extortionate, but it's, it's a lot. And if they say yes, I don't mind stopping in Chile, in Santiago for two weeks and and just doing the work. And lo and behold, said that number, uh, he passed it on to his friend, his client, and uh, they said yes. And and they wanted me to start pretty much as soon as possible. And for me, that was the turning point in my whole career up until today now, where I thought I don't have to be in an office. I don't have to commute. I can work from anywhere with the skills that I've acquired over a relatively short period of time really um i don't want to go back to a nine to five and that was the turning point
1: i think that's a great realization and i guess going back then if you had spoken um to many especially employers they would have said absolutely not you know you need a fixed place of work you need an office we need bums on seats and um and i guess till the beginning of this year i mean there has been a shift in, in industry but i guess until the beginning of this year it was still very much that mindset. And as we've seen now with, with COVID um, you know, yes, unfortunately there's been a lot of job losses, but for, for many others, it's entirely possible to work wherever you are and um, not have to commute into that office every day. So yeah, I think. Uh,
0: and, And I think marketers have always been early adopters of of trends like this. So when you think about graphic designers, I think for me, they were the first sort of freelancers I knew of where people didn't have to work in the office, but could work remotely and produce great work that was aligned to what the brand wanted. Um, So I've always, I've actually worked. and, and, And again, with marketers, you have agencies that support marketing teams and they don't work in your office all the time. Certain agencies do. So I think marketers were more open to the idea of working remotely but i think the biggest changing point was as marketers got more reliant on software and that software was in america and if they needed help with that software they would just go on live chat and maybe book a call and do a screen share with the hubspot support team to help them fix the challenge or fix the problems that they had i think marketers in in general or the uh, or the uh, more open-minded marketers thought actually we we can work with external and remote people uh, and actually we don't have to pay for their office space, their laptop, uh, some of the employment, employee benefits as well, especially if they're contractors. Um, so again, I think a bit fortunate that I was in marketing, which is a very, very, uh, uh, an industry, which is more open to, to these changes in, 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 yeah. in general.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, both in terms of, of, uh, I think that the sorts of work that is done and, you know, sort of early adoption. So, um, mm-hmm yeah but I think it's um, I think the epiphany, you know working in Santiago is probably a bit more exciting than you know not being able to go into the office because of COVID, so sure. um, no, it, absolutely yeah. it, it does it does tell a really great story, and um, yeah, I think worthwhile switching your laptop on at that stage, and, and mm-hmm. also just to point out, I guess in that instance, the power of networking, you know so as you say, an old manager got in touch with you, you know you'd built up that relationship, you'd maintained it you hadn't burnt any bridges when you left mm-hmm. that job. Mm -hmm. and um, it culminated in an opportunity for you and as you say the the sort of turning point in your career actually
0: yeah and and it was at that point where I decided not to go back to a nine-to-five and if I thought if one person can buy my services and that implementation took two weeks then I just need to do two of those a month and I'll be very happy and earning a good a good income and that's what I decided to do so I, I set up my own consulting practice and Started to started to work on on that, providing marketing automation implementations for B two B SaaS companies because that had been my background. Um, so and and that's what I focused on for the next two years.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think you know, um, I, I guess it it was uh, it's that sort of point that many people need in their careers to understand, you know, what it is they they're capable of, and um, you know, really what the opportunities are for them. And and as you say, I think that's that, you know, know, it it gave you the opportunity to establish your own consultancy and, and arguably lead onto the number of roles that you do today. But I guess before we move on to some of those roles, um, there was one role I wanted to touch on, uh, which was your head of marketing role at the drinks box. Mm. Now, as I understand it, I mean, it it was a family owned business. Uh, You know, can you talk a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah, of course, of course. So it was around four years ago now, or coming up to four years, um, my dad had been working for himself but he, and he was a chauffeur doing a lot of airport transfers. Between We lived near Heathrow Airport uh, in, in London and Uber had come into the market and changed everybody's expectations of what transport from airports was like. And My dad was facing a, a situation where he was losing um, regular customers to the likes of Uber and, and the disruptors. And, you know, he's a one man band. He's not really able to go and fight Uber. Um, so we were we we're out for a family meal one one evening. And um, I, the story is quite long of how we got there. But we'd started talking about um, it, uh, us having a, a bar, a mobile bar that we could go to weddings and corporate events and exhibitions. And we could do coffee, alcohol. Wine, spirits, beers, and um, that's where the drinks box kind of. I mean, like I said, there's a longer story, but um, effectively, we converted a, a horse trailer into a mobile bar, and we ran that until uh, literally a month or so ago, until we sold it. As my parents are now retiring and moving to Spain, uh, I think.
1: I mean, that's 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 a great story as well, and um, especially in that it was initiated by the fact you know you're talking about your dad being a taxi driver and and mm-hmm. uh, that industry being massively disrupted by the likes of Uber. Um, again, you know, uh, and thinking, you know, what were the obvious things I could do? I could go and, you know, maybe drive for a, t- a bigger taxi conglomerate, mm-hmm. or I could become an Uber driver or I could become an Amazon delivery driver. But, you know, thinking a little more laterally, uh, you know, you came up with a really good business idea and, and turned it into something sustainable
0: yeah and and two things to to mention here so my background was obviously building websites putting in marketing automation lead generation so i could do all of that stuff in my sleep so i knew that we'd immediately have a competitive advantage against somebody another mum and pop business because that's effectively what it was literally um because you know that's my skill set my brother had has always worked in hospitality but from a kind of strategic side of hospitality And um, my my mum has always been great. Um, She's been a a, a, an executive assistant, personal assistant throughout her whole career, so could manage the bookings and and the people side of things. So we knew together as a team we we could do this. The second important point to make, and I haven't mentioned it yet, is before I went to uni, my my dad was incredibly proud that I was going to uni, and he was a um, a lifetime career person. So he worked at a company for twenty eight years until two thousand and seven. So as I was leaving to uni, he, the advice was go to uni, get a good job, they'll look after you and uh, work hard, work your way up and um, you know the path is there for you to follow. 2007 came and he was made redundant and uh, he rang me and he said, I'm sorry, the advice I gave was, wasn't right. Um, they, they won't look after you. Uh, so just make sure you do something that you enjoy uh, and make sure you, you work hard still. Um, and, but if you're, if you're not happy, you you can make that choice you can make that change and i think that for me and i didn't mention it before but that was definitely a uh, another influence into how i view work and career uh, until this, to until today and i still still kind of keep keep in mind those words of advice
1: yeah and i think you've unearthed the i think the core reason for this podcast is um that you know there is no longer such a thing as a job for life and you know we have to take charge of our careers. We have to build those transferable skills to make sure that we are employable for life rather than employed for life. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, going back and, and and looking at that story, you know, not dissimilar from my own, my father, you know, working for a bank for many, many years saying, coming out of university, you know, go and get a job with a bank, you know, you'll get a great uh, discount on your mortgage, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they'll take care of you and Uh, You know, I didn't. I didn't go that route. I went. uh, I went the sort of small startup route. um, And you know, I guess it's just that was the right advice. I think for them at that time. Yeah. It it was the model that our parents have grown up, and possibly their parents as well. Yeah,
0: hundred percent. And.
1: and it was quite funny when you you know you mentioned uh, some of your earlier marketing roles, and you said you know I spent quite a long time at that company. It was one or two years, and <laughs> I think comparing that to, you know to your dad's um, stint mm. of twenty twenty eight years, you, you know it's it's vastly different. So I think yeah, you, you, I, um, highlighted a few good things there.
0: I just I just think it just goes to show that forget forget that I'm a millennial, or forget which year I was born in. Um, I have the belief that we're in control of our career. And if we go into a job and we implement HubSpot, let's say, I'm very specific to my to my example, but I implemented HubSpot, I trained the whole company up on how to use it, we increased net new revenue by 30%. I kind of felt like my job was done and I wanted to do it again, uh, but I wanted to do it for a different company because I didn't want the job to become mundane and maintenance. I love building things. And that's another thing I learned when I moved into marketing is that I really enjoy building Uh, Processes and seeing those processes work, and then obviously tweaking them uh, when they need to, and optimizing how how a business runs and operates based on the technology and people. Um, So I think, yeah, just you're in control of of your career, and don't worry if it's if it is only six months, but you can justify as to why you left after six months, and you know the reason that you're applying for a new role isn't because you need a job; Um, it's because you see the opportunity of how you can help that this company that you're applying to with the skills and knowledge that you've acquired, that's the answer you give. Um, so just remember that you're in control of your own, your own career.
1: Good advice. And I think also going back to a point you made a little bit earlier in the interview, you know, you said, imagine what I could do for you. Mm. Um, you know, and that's a great approach to take to say, well, you know, here's my track record. This is my proposition. Imagine what I could do for you or for your organization. Yeah. So I guess onto your, current um i I guess um not a single role because you've got multiple roles as you laid out at the start of the um of the interview Mm -hmm. um what was your thinking in terms of saying i'm going to diversify um i guess the work i do a a little bit you know was it because of, of opportunities was it managing your risk was it you know multiple interests you know what's your thinking around how you position yourself now in your career now
0: yeah Really good question. And I guess I should just explain the context. So I, I worked in my own consultancy for two for two years. And you know, I was successful to the point where I had three or four customers a month, I was earning more than I ever earned before, but I was working more than I had ever worked before. And I was on that roller coaster of working on projects, projects finishing, then I had to find new projects, because I wasn't able to nurture my, my own pipeline. And The mistake I made with my own consultancy was that I said, I can help you with any marketing automation technology because I knew that I was skilled at learning a technology very quickly, even if I'd never used it before, because effectively they all work the same. They just call the different modules, different things, but don't tell, don't tell anybody else that. (laughs) Um, So my mistake there was that I didn't niche down and and build out a more predictable service offering uh, or repeatable service offering. So it got me thinking as to what I wanted to do next. And I was in the process of thinking, I can't continue like this. I have fun. I enjoy this. I, I speak to so many uh, SaaS founders and B2B founders and, and salespeople and marketers, which is that will explain a few things in a second. Um, but I thought I've got to offer something more predictable. And I started to look at productized services. And a productized service is, is like any service, but it's the same service that you offer to multiple people. So, but the way you deliver the service is pretty much the same every time. Um, and I started to look at a few companies and I noticed through Growth Mentor, which we're both a part of, Gunter, um, that there was a mentor called David Hensel who had worked with or was currently working on a number of um, productized services. And before I had a chance to reach out to him, I had shared something with the Growth Mentor community. Uh, and he reached out to ask me questions about the topic I was sharing, which was actually at this time outbound sales. And we got talking and fast forward three or four months. Uh, we met in Paris at a, a conference and he asked me if I'd like to join Task Drive and, and lead the company from a revenue point of view to streamline the operations and then continue to sell and grow. And that's how I got into working at Task Drive and then became obsessed with productized services.
1: Okay. So again, uh, I think, um, testament to, to, to your growing your network. Um, as you mentioned growth mentor there, that, that, that's how we met and mm-hmm. how we initiated this conversation. And as you say, how you got in touch with David. So, uh, you know, a, another great example of, of building out your network and building relationships, uh, because those unlock
0: opportunities. Definitely. And I've got, there's a course in me that I want to publish and create, and I haven't Haven't made a well. I haven't got it to to a final part part yet. It's going to be a free course when it is, but it's about always be connecting. And my philosophy is: the more people you speak to, the more people that you add value to, and adding value. So I think a lot of people think, well, I have to have a service or a a solution for people. Adding value to someone's life could be just listening to them. It could be uh, recommending or pointing them in the right direction. It could be connecting them with somebody who has been there, done that before, even if that's not you. Um, so always be connecting is, is one of my values. And I, I always seek to introduce people I speak to, to other people that I know. And in the past, that's led to um, somebody becoming a co-founder of, of a business because of the introduction. Quite a few jobs have been um, offered because I've introduced two people. Um, there's some other things as well that I've got, oh, I got, got to go to the text uh, completed a textiles Accelerator back in 2018 just because I was constantly out there speaking to people and networking. But the, the way I look at it is, it's not so much karma. but the more people that you speak to, the more you increase your uh, opportunity surface area. So the more, the more people you speak to, the more people you stay, in, stay top of mind with, the more people think about you when it comes to them solving challenges or things that they're facing. And that's how I became a outbound prospecting coach for the Sales Impact Academy. Three years ago or two years ago is when that conversation started, but there was no talk of what the outcome was going to be but we kept in touch and always stayed. I always stay top of mind with them. Yeah,
1: no, it's, it's totally worth thinking that, um, you know, all of these relationship building and conversations are so much more than transactional. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there really is value in nurturing those relationships and, and asking, I mean, in the last episode of the podcast, um, also speaking to a fellow growth mentor and her view was saying, you know, "How, how can I help this person today? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, show up to whatever it is you're doing, whether it's paid, whether it's free of charge, whatever it is, ask the question, how can I help this person today? And um, again, it, that helps nurture those relationships as you've just described.
0: Yeah. And that's Helen, isn't it? That's right. Yes. Yeah. And Helen and I have a business <laughs> together which is the the product on borders which i think she shared in her episode and, you know we we started speaking two years ago or even maybe three years ago never met in person until a few years ago where we met at a conference in london when she was back and it's, you just never know where these conversations are going to lead to and they could always lead to future employment opportunities too so um but i think the importance is is to have those conversations without expecting anything immediate to happen and give freely and, and come from a giving mindset and deposit that value in in every interaction that you
1: have yeah no that's that's great advice um and yeah helen did mention that on the last podcast i've, I've got the link for the um product on borders oh, on nice. um, on the notes as well so um yeah no she she did she she said that was a whole different episode though um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah obviously lots of exciting stuff <laughs> that went on there so sure yeah but perhaps that's a joint interview with the two of you
0: <laughs> yeah well, that'd be great
1: uh, Coming up, so okay, and, and so I guess looking at the, uh, I guess you'll call it your portfolio now, uh, if you if you want. Um, how, why why does this work for you? And you know, what are the sort of things that you continue to learn taking this approach to uh, to your career, rather than you know that that single role at a at, at an agency or or, or a corporate.
0: Yeah, so I think there's another blog post here, or maybe another course as well, Gunther. <laughs> um, but for me, it's about building an ecosystem of value around me, around myself. And it, it, I'm not saying pe- other people should build a system around me. I'm just saying, saying that you should put yourself in the middle and then find an industry or an audience that you could serve. So for me, that is sales, or has in the, in the last uh, year and a half has been salespeople. So, I worked at, for TaskDrive, and they are effectively a, a research as a service. We help sales teams with their lead research and data enrichment. And I was speaking to hundreds of salespeople a month, whether they be prospects, customers, friends, partners. And I would always get questions because I'm not trying to sell to them all the time. I'm trying to have just want to have conversations with them. So, they would ask me, Hey, Mark, who, who do you recommend for done for you cold email? They'd be like, Oh, Theo. Or if you don't want to speak to Theo you can also speak to Alex over here at, at, at this company and then Mark we've got two sales reps who have just started and they need some training is there anywhere any courses any blog posts anything you'd recommend and what I did is I just kind of made a mental note of all the questions I asked I was asked and then I put myself in the middle and I thought well how can I build relationships with the solutions to the questions that my audience has and that is effectively about, and that's what I mean about building that ecosystem. And, you know, some of those introductions, I may make a referral fee or an affiliate uh, fee. If, you know, if someone asks me, which cold email software do I recommend? I might give my affiliate links and say, here are the ones I recommend. I've used all of them. Uh, some of these links have affiliates. If you want to click on them, I get a little bit of commission. If you just want to Google them, do that. It's completely up to you. But that's how, that's how I've been looking at my life, I guess, in the last, uh, few, in the last year or so. And by positioning myself as a coach for an online course, I'm going to be speaking to a cohort of my ideal customers or or potential ideal customers or, or just people that I know very, very well and I know their challenges and I know that if they have any questions, I can answer them with confidence and I hopefully I've been clear because I, I haven't, as you can probably tell, I haven't really worked on this blog post yet. But <laughs> um, it is about positioning yourself in the middle um, so that you can provide value in, in 360. So you can help people who are just starting out, people at the same level, people that are ahead of you. And by helping those that are ahead of you, for example, I introduced, somebody was introduced to me. Uh, they wanted to move into a sales role as a sales development rep. Hadn't done it before. But I knew the person that introduced her to me wouldn't introduce me somebody who wasn't serious about doing, uh, you know, about making some waves in her career. I then talked to her and introduced her to a VP of sales at a very well-known software company. And I said, hey, this person hasn't done this role before, but I think you'll like her attitude and her, 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 her transferable skills from her previous experience. And a month later, she's working with that company. Three months later, she's been the top. SDR for the last two months or three months now. So it just happens by serendipity, but you have to put yourself out there and put yourself in the middle.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's a good piece of advice. It's, it's, um, as you say, it's getting out there, building those relationships, uh, finding the audience, understanding what their problems are, you know, mm-hmm. thinking how you can help them. Um, and as you say, positioning yourself in the middle, being able to serve not only people that are, you know, are very experienced in, in, in the, in the, um, in the area that you choose, but also those that are less experienced. So yeah, that's some, some really good advice. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, we've certainly covered a lot um, in, in the, t- the time we've been chatting, um, you know, in terms of advice, either to people that are looking to get into a similar career or even looking back and saying, what would you have told your 18 year old self? Um, you know what sort of advice would you offer
0: Oh, if I, if I was to look back and so so advice for people just in general speak to people have more conversations take take note of what people say that their challenges are or, or make note of what they say and they've got and actively listen to them and see where you can connect them with other people and ask permission before you connect you don't want to blindly be introducing people to other people start speaking to people. And I think that would be the advice I'd give my 18 year old self is, is put this idea of always be connecting. And it's quite funny. I work in sales and there's that like Glen Gary Ross, which is always about always be closing. So I'm using the same acronym ABC, but always be connecting. And the more you do, the more you increase your opportunities in life in general. Um, I think had I told my 18 year old self that there, I would probably be involved in more joint part joint venture partners and partnerships and that ecosystem that I'm building at the moment may bigger.
1: Okay, some good advice there. I Particularly like the always be connecting.
0: Yeah, like I said, I've I've got the modules of a course or an email course in me. I just <laughs> haven't had time to actually put it put it to paper just yet.
1: Okay, no, that that's some some really good advice. Um, all right, and uh, I guess perhaps just to uh, to 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 kind of close off the interview. Um, a few short questions. Uh, You know, is there any particular book uh, that you'd recommend to listeners or or number of books that you'd recommend for people to pick up?
0: Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I studied and then I was like, well, I don't want to learn anymore. (laughs) That was was my (laughs) attitude or I'll learn my skill, uh, but I don't want to continue reading. And it it took me a few years to to pick up an actual um, uh, nonfiction book. But the book I did, which, which really changed my Perception to Learning was a book called by Jeff Jarvis called What Would Google Do? And he took a step back and looked at Google and looked at some of the other technology companies and just kind of looked at the Change of the changes of the internet and how it affects our culture how it affects our marketing and advertising and It really just got me thinking. Well, this company's doing okay I guess why don't I learn what 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 makes this company do well and grow and, and achieve scale and then see how I can take those uh, those lessons and apply them into the the work that I'm doing at the moment, so I think it's really looking at those that are already successful and reverse engineering what they've done to get there and that's what was so great about um, uh, what would Google do is because he kind of gave you the blueprint of how he uh, reverse engineered their success.
1: Okay, great recommendation. And as I always do, I'll I'll pop that uh, book in the show notes so listeners can can find it easily. Great. Uh, then uh, finally, uh, if, if listeners would like to get in contact with you or connect with you or find out more about you, what's the best way of doing that?
0: Sure. So to find out a little bit more about me, you can visit markcolgan.co.uk. That's just kind of like a, a landing page with a few of the projects I'm involved in at the moment. Um, or if you'd like to reach out to me and, and start a conversation, because um, I'll be happy to, uh, to speak with you, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Mark Colgan, uh, obviously I can provide you the link. And so, so it's in the, in the show notes and, and just let me know in the message, how, uh, you know, that you heard me on the agile career podcast and, um, yeah, I'm happy to give any sort of advice uh, or just even be here for a chat if someone needs one.
1: Yeah, that, that's a, that's a great offer. And I'd certainly recommend that people, um, take you up on that offer. Uh, you know, I think the, the hour or so we spent together has been incredibly valuable. Um, I've taken a lot away from it. I've got loads of notes here that are going to go into the speaker notes and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly sure that the listeners have found it valuable too. So, you know, thanks very much for making the the time, uh, and, uh, you know, giving up that time to, to take part on the show. I really do appreciate it.
0: No, it's been a pleasure and and really great questions, Gunter. It certainly made me think and, uh, and yeah, I think excellent questions. So thank you very much.
1: Yeah, no, you're welcome. And thanks for your time. I look forward to chatting soon.
0: All right. Take care. Speak soon. Okay. Bye.
1: Cheers. Wow. Another great story on the podcast today. I'd just like to say thanks again to Mark who joined us all the way from Athens today. Uh, it really was an enlightening show. And as usual, I'm just going to end off with a few, uh, putting out a few highlights or a few of the key takeaways from the notes that I've made in listening to the show over again and um, I think the first thing when we started speaking on the show was talking about Mark's university studies and uh, whilst he always knew he wanted a career in business and, and, and marketing uh, and we've said this before is often you're studying for a job that doesn't exist anymore and certainly that was the case going back to when he studied there was no such thing as digital marketing uh, so he was developing the skills and learning The skills and knowledge for a job that didn't exist yet. So, you know, another important thing to think about when we start choosing our direction of study. Earlier on in his career, uh, he said he wanted a job that gave him responsibility. Again, this was an important takeaway for me because asking for more responsibility is the way that we build our careers and the way that we build the roles and grow in our roles. Uh, He talked about always having a part-time job, and again, so many of our guests on the the show talk about this and how important it was and how it prepared them for the workplace, helped them build up some of the skills that they would need when they entered that workplace. Um, Then Mark went on to talk about moving into this new role or identifying this new role. But really struggling because, um, you know, he wanted to land this job, but he didn't have any experience. He said, I know the theory and I'm sure I can do this, but it was up to him to convince a potential employer, you know, to take a chance on him. So, again, that's quite important to one thing is knowing the theory, but also having the confidence in yourself that you can do that job is very important. He spoke about doing stuff for friends and family to help him build up a portfolio and build up experience. and uh, I think the important part that he noted there was it doesn't necessarily always mean you need to do it for free. You know if indeed you are making money from your skills and your knowledge, then you shouldn't be giving it away for free. But if it's kind of a new proposition or something new that you've entered into and you have no experience or no reference ability or you don't have a portfolio, then certainly it is something you can consider um when laying out that story to employers uh, the term that mark used was imagine what i could do for you and that's really i think setting the vision or helping employers or clients even understand you know what that picture would look like if you were on board you know how would the world be different what would you could what could you do for them uh, he talked about creating a niche for himself and, um, you know, this was combining marketing sales and, and marketing automation. And uh, again, just another good story in terms of how important it is to find that niche. Uh, he talked about uh, spotting in-demand skills and and shared some resources, which I've added to the show notes. Um But also trying to understand, you know, what your role would look like in 10 years or so to try and understand what those in-demand skills are going to be. And again, this is something we've spoken about on previous shows. Uh, He he talked about uh, the importance of keeping, uh, developing your skills, be comfortable with the unknown, um, you know, and ask yourself when presented with an opportunity, why not? So don't ask why, ask why not um we've spoken about niching down and and mark said that was one of the mistakes he he made that he didn't niche down soon enough and uh, i think then finally and and probably you know this is kind of what the show is all about or this episode anyway is the term that mark used always be connecting and and give freely and uh, again this is just testament to the power of networking and uh, also going into networking with not thinking about what's in it for you you know think about how you can help others so you know always be connecting and and give freely so uh, listeners again thank you so much for joining me uh, it's uh, i'm really glad that you've taken the time out to listen to the show i really appreciate your your time uh, and the fact that you listen to the show please do get in touch please subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms and please do leave a review um and i look forward to chatting to you again in the next episode Bye-bye for now and take care.